What an honor to have uh, Pastor and Apostle Mike enjoy with us. And Apostle Mike, we're going to do another interview tonight. Why don't we all stand and let's just welcome him and honor him today. Thank you. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. Praise the Lord. Well, just to bring some greetings for those who not, don't know you, Mike, and just tell us a little bit about yourself so that we know what, who you are. What would you like to know? <laughs> oh, well, you know. Well, I'm married to my beautiful wife over here, Joy, oh. and we've been married 50 years this year, and uh, we have seven children, uh, four girls and three boys, and uh, there are some, all of them, four of them in New Zealand are all where we are now. They've come to serve and build the church. My son David pastors the church. We have uh, 24 grandchildren, and uh, so we've got a very big family. They all love us. They're all in church. And uh, we're just loving this season of our lives. It's just a wonderful season. Loving being here with you and uh, just the hunger for the things of God. Fantastic. Well, we've been uh, talking about the kingdom of God. And we, uh, last time that I interviewed you, we spoke about the manifest sons of God. And uh, you made a very, very important distinction between the difference between being a child of God or, and a son or daughter of God. And that distinction is so important because not everybody are sons or daughters of God, that we're all children of God, but there's, there's qualifications and so on that need to happen. And that was, I think, one of the great, great messages um, that we needed to hear. And of course, you get that because you understand that the New Testament is translated from Greek, and Greek has more words that we cannot sort of translate, eh? Yeah, well, we were looking at uh, the passage in uh, Romans 18, where it talked about that the whole of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And uh, then it talked about in a, little, a few um, verses earlier, it talked about the adoption. We have received the spirit of adoption. And uh, we tend to think in terms of Western cultural mindset when we look at the Bible rather than ask the question, what did that term mean to them? And from the Roman Greek uh, uh, culture that the, the, that particular era was referring to in the book of Romans, he's writing to the church at Rome where the Romans are, adoption referred to uh, not what we would consider uh, just taking in some lonely child, bringing them into our family because we haven't got any children, raising them as our own, put their name on them. It doesn't refer to that. The Bible tells us we are born into the family of God. That's what it means to be born again. God's spirit is imparted. We now have the nature of God, the DNA of God. We have now become a child of God. So we're not adopted into the family of God as in a Western cultural thinking. Mm. So then that raises the question, what did adoption mean? So the word that's translated adoption in the book of Romans is the word huio, coming from the word huios, mature son, and thesia, huio thesia, to place a mature son into the role of representing his father and having full access to inheritance. Now you understand then, not all Christians are mature. So the Bible makes it very clear that there is a difference between being placed in the family of God and being positioned as a child of God and becoming a mature sons of God. For example, in Romans 8, it says those who are led or have surrendered to the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance and direction in their life, they are mature sons of God, meaning that there's a maturing process in surrendering to the Holy Spirit. So the mature sons are different from immature sons. 
and an immature child, while they remain immature, cannot access the full realm of what God has planned for them. So when we are born into the kingdom of God, we become uh, nepios, like a, a newborn babe. Then we grow, we become technon, a young child, and we're placed under the hands of the Holy Spirit because in the culture of Rome, they would take the young child and put him under a tutor who would prepare him in the ways of his father so he could then stand with his father, represent his father, and engage and receive full access to inheritance. And that maturing process was decided on the father when he was ready. So it's not like you can decide that you have it whenever you want. So likewise, the Holy Spirit, who is called the spirit of adoption, the, the spirit that prepares and places us into mature sonship role, that spirit we have received. And he tutors us. That's why you have to be led by the spirit, because he'll deal with your attitudes, your mentalities, your character. His role mm. is to mature us. Hence, he's placed within us that Christ might be formed in us. That kind of summarizes a lot of where Fantastic. we want. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to read a scripture, and this is a scripture about Christians, and it's a scary scripture if you don't understand it, and so it's important we get this. And it's Matthew 7, verse 18 to 24. And the scripture says this, Matthew 7, 18 to 24, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is talking about you and I. So then you will know them by their fruits. And here's the, the thing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, we have got to understand this passage. And uh, Apostle Mike, um, this is speaking to Christians, and, uh, and yet they are Christians who were rejected. It means they didn't go, that didn't mean that they missed going to heaven, but they missed, actually, we spoke about it another time, they actually ended up in outer darkness, which is not hell. Just talk to us about what Jesus is saying, what he's warning. Why was there a rejection of Christians in this passage? Well, he says, notice he uses the term uh, that many, many, that's a multitude will say in that day. So what is he referring to? When we look at the context or the background, the chapter five, six, and seven in the original have no breaks. It's just one message. And the theme of the message is what is the character and culture of the kingdom? In other words, now you are born into a new kingdom with a new king. There is a whole new culture uh, that you must learn. There's a way of doing life which is different, and it has to do with living life from the heart and the spirit. That's why Jesus talked then, say, for example, about heart adultery, heart anger, and so on. So he's talking about right through there, he's talking about the characteristics of living the kingdom in the earth. He's talking about growing to maturity. Then as he comes to the end of it, he says, many shall say to me in that day. So when he uses the term that day, what day is it referring to? 
It's referring to a thing that's uh, mentioned many times in the Bible, the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus returns and there is a great day for some because they enter inheritance and reward. It's a terrible day for others because they experience the consequence of living a life without God. So this day has not yet come. This is a day that will be visited on the earth at the coming of Jesus Christ. It's referred to in the book of Revelation in many of the things that will come on the earth. Jesus taught about it in Matthew 24. So that day is referring to a coming day. Now notice he says that many will say in that day, Lord, Lord. So in other words, these are people who are in relationship with Jesus, call him Lord. And then it says, we did many wonderful things. We did, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Uh, we did miracles in your name. So these are people who have experienced uh, a measure of supernatural power. They've tasted of the power of the age to come. They are operating in the gifts of the spirit. They are genuine people, who are genuine believers in Christ. So this, these are people who have an entrance to the kingdom and they're operating in a ministry flow of some kind. And then he says, but I will say to you. So in other words, their ministry and how they and what they're doing looks impressive to people, but God searches the hearts. That's the whole teaching all through there is about the importance of the heart. And he said to them, I never knew you. The word know there doesn't mean he didn't have a knowledge about them. It has to refer to deep, intimate relationship. It means uh, knowing a person experientially through the intentional development of intimacy. It's a word used to describe a husband and wife having a sexual intimacy in a marriage covenant relationship. So he's saying, you never cultivated and developed intimacy with me that led to surrender to my will. See, we can't sort of expect to walk in a deepening intimacy with the Lord and carry his presence strongly if there's not a surrender to what he wants. So he, he prefaces it saying, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Now he's talking about the coming age, the millennial kingdom, and then the ages that are to come. So all of this teaching on the kingdom of God that came about uh, right through Jesus' ministry is about the coming kingdom and our preparation for it. And he's saying, many will say, he said, you won't enter unless you have learned to do the will of my father, just like I learned to do the will of my father. And then he goes on then to say that uh, if you read a little further, he then talks on about the whole issue of uh, learning. To, he said, whoever uh, does these words of mine, hears these saying of mine and does them like the man built his house on the rock. So what sayings is he referring to? He's referring to the Sermon on the Mount. So he's saying, we need to hear what the Sermon on the Mount is about and then apply it intentionally to the way we do life. He said, then it's like you're building your house on a foundation. When storms come, you won't be moved. So he says, uh, so going back to that passage there, he says, uh, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, cast out demons and so on? He said, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is the practicing lawless? Notice practicing means this is a lifestyle. This is not just one action of making a mistake, doing something wrong. God has provided for all of that to be covered. This is an intentional lifestyle. So when he says uh, practicing lawlessness, what does that refer to? 
Lawlessness in this context refers to refusing to be under authority. Hmm. Now this is a very big issue because at the end times, a spirit of lawlessness will be released through the earth. That means people will reject authority in all forms. They will reject God's order for marriage. They will reject God's order of governance in the church. They will reject civic authorities. There will be a lifestyle of refusing to come into order according to how God has set up his kingdom. Now, this is something that many people don't get. We kind of come in and we come in and the grace of God is extended and we're loved and we're forgiven and we're welcomed. But we're welcomed into a family. We're welcomed into a kingdom. And as being part of a kingdom, we function in a kingdom by recognizing it's not a democracy. I do what I think. It's a kingdom where a king rules. So we are called, after we're born again, to come into an alignment or recognize the kingdom of God is about his right to rule. The fallen man is about who will rule. So coming back under his authority means I recognize his right to rule, and that means his right to bring order as it pleases him. And I align myself and submit to that. So anyone who has a revelation of the kingdom of God has also a revelation of authority. You look at your employer differently. You look at leaders differently. You look at your parents differently. You look at everyone who is an authority figure differently. You're looking through the eyes of the kingdom. So instead of looking at their lacks, their failures, their shortfalls, and then excusing a bad attitude and bad behavior, we now see past it and see this is the hand of my God, and I need to now align myself correctly with this. That's why I honor those in authority. I pray for those in authority. Now, this is a huge issue concerning the kingdom of God. So the devil's plan always is to get you being a Christian and doing your Christian stuff your own way. Instead of learning what Jesus learned, to submit to his Father. Now you see, all, all through Jesus' life, he understood kingdom. So at the age of 12, we find him in the temple, and he's, he's positioned himself to be under tutors and governors for the preparation for his adoption. His parents come looking for him. They don't know where he is. And after three days, they find him. And then he says, they say to him, why have you treated us like this? He said, didn't you realize I must be about my father's business? So he's saying, this is, you should understand, knowing my origin and knowing the call, that I would be here getting this training. And they, un they did not understand, and they required him to leave the place of training. Remember, he's going to train to be a rabbi. You want to train to be a rabbi, go to where rabbis are trained. They say, no, come home with us. And it says, it says in Luke chapter 2, he submitted himself to them. He was subject to them. He yielded to their authority and their direction, see? even though they didn't get it right. So instead of him being raised in the temple, and trained and prepared to be a rabbi in the temple, he then instead took a different pathway away from the temple in a small, insignificant town 
as part of a family business, learning the family business, learning to work with people, learning eventually to run the business and, and run a family business. But then even when it came to his ministry launch, he's 30, it's the time to begin. Instead of putting up the banners and just saying, I'm going to do this and this and this, he immediately then crosses, there's 80 miles of walk across Israel to find John the Baptist and to submit to the office of the prophet. And it was the prophet launched him into his ministry. John was so shocked by, said, I should be being baptized by you. And he says, no, we must submit to all righteousness. This is God's way. This is his order that I am launched into my ministry through submitting to the prophet's office. Because prophets and apostles are foundational for the church. And so now, does he then immediately, oh, the heavens are open, I've had the encounter, the anointings come. Now, I'll start now. Let's put the signs up, let's go out and start. No, 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 he was then led by the Spirit. In other words, instead of having 30 years of preparation, even now when the anointing is on him, he's had the encounter, got an open heaven, he still doesn't go start his ministry. He submits to the leading of the Spirit. Where does the Spirit lead him? Into a preparation process. You think, well, isn't he prepared already? No, he must submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He's a man under authority. And he goes into fasting, he goes into prayer, he goes into a time of uh, solitude with the Father, intimacy with the Father, he goes into a time of warfare, uh, overcoming temptation, he returns in the power of the Spirit. Now for us, we like to read Luke 3, he got baptized in the Spirit, Luke 4, he come in the power of the Spirit, we want to miss out the other bit. But the other bit is all about kingdom alignment being under authority. And then even then he said, I only do the things I see my father doing. I don't run around doing my thing. I'm here to do the will of my father. Now that's what this is about. Now you understand, with that all in mind, he says, unless you do the will of my father, you shall not enter into the realm and dimension I've come here to bring you into. And not talking about getting saved. He's talking about position of honor, a position of intimacy, and a position of authority in the kingdom that's yet to come. Wow. I mean, I mean, it's it's just scary stuff because here we are, aren't we, in a culture that it's so much about me. <coughs> yes, yes, and, exactly. you know, And then people come into the church thinking that they have personal rights. Yes. But actually, when you become a Christian and you want to be kingdom orientated, you don't have personal rights. All you have is the will of the Father. Yes. And you see, part of that is you come under authority. It's part of your yes. preparation. And that's well, really, I don't yeah. know that I agree yeah. with the pastor. <laughs> well, that's not actually what the issue is. The issue, the issue is a recognition and submission to spiritual authority and governance that God puts you yeah. under, isn't it? And it's not always good. And it's not perfect. Yeah. And often they do dumb things. That's not the point. The point is our attitude to them. So you think of, you think of uh, for example, David. Now, David, Saul, he was under Saul's authority. Saul tried to kill him. Twice God gave him opportunity to kill Saul if it was in his heart. Everyone around him said, oh, man, they got all religious on him. You know, this is the moment God has appointed you that yeah. you can now get rid of this guy who's in the way and fulfill your call and take over like God said you're going to take over. He said, no, God forbid that I should rise my hand against someone God anointed in authority over me. 
See, that's why you have things like church splits. Yeah. Because people do not recognize governance, spiritual authority, and yeah. so on. Yeah, exactly. And say, oh, well, they're not recognizing. I just go and do my thing. Well, lawlessness shows itself not when we necessarily face uh, living uh, before God, but when we live before his representatives, which are imperfect. Yes. That's where what's in your heart flushes up. In fact, it specifically flushes up when someone who's in authority says to you, no. That's when it comes. No, or you did that wrong. <laughs> or you need to apologize or put it right. As soon as someone stands up and pushes back on you, if there's lawlessness in your heart, it will come up. It comes yeah, up can, out of pride. Can I bring another word? Independence. Yes, independence. An independent spirit. Yeah. And you mentioned entitlement, which means I've got right to this, right to this. And that's the spirit of the age, yes. entitlement. Whereas you see the spirit of the kingdom is humility. I lay down my rights in order that God's will can be done and his name honored. And in return, now we think, oh, man, that's so dumb. Fancy doing that. You know, what about me? Well, there it is right there. What about me? Well, if I will yield my life for his name and honor, he will ensure I am raised up. So we can choose between seeking the honor before men or the honor that God gives. Yeah? And it requires faith to do that. That's why the centurion, he said, he said, now you don't need to come to my house, just say the word. I'm a man under authority and I see you're under authority. You only got to say the word and it'll happen. He said, oh, what great faith is that? So this issue of authority and honor and respect for authority figures, whether they're good or not good or is not the issue, it's our heart attitude is the issue. Yeah. And, yeah. and the conflict with someone who treats you unjustly or unfairly raises then all of that injustice and all of that independence, entitlement, and also the lawlessness. See, see this is why people have got to understand that, that the walk of faith and the walk in the kingdom, everything's really a test. It's a trial, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And so he will allow injustice to happen. And you can react negatively to the injustice or recognize God's actually testing my heart yes. to see what my attitude is towards well, because that. Because we blame the person blame who's shifting. committed the injustice. Yeah. And we're not seeing in our own heart what's going on in there. That yeah. that injustice to us now surfaced how angry, how, how lacking in meekness, and how independent we are. Yeah. And so, and so then what happens is people just go and find another church, another group of Christians, whatever, because they actually have not recognized actually God's trying to expose something yeah, inside you. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's the spirit of adoption. He prepares us by developing our heart and character and taking us through circumstances. Now, it's not that he creates the bad circumstances, but in every circumstance, he can work it together for good because it will flush up what's in our heart. It gives us opportunity to overcome. Yeah. You know, you and I were discussing today and uh, coming to church this morning how, you know, and I mentioned to Apostle Mike about a very famous preacher who thought this guy this was going to be with him for the rest of his life in the ministry. And one day this guy came to him and said, um, look, God's speaking to me to go and do something else. And it absolutely hurt this ministry, big, big church. And then he decided to change the language because he thought, if I keep seeing people as part of the family of God, I'll get hurt every time they leave. Oh, and so, you see, he starts talking about the season you're with us. And then I started doing that, but I, I eventually I thought, this is, this is garbage. Wrong. Wrong. Because actually, you're coming into a family. We are the family of God. And if people violate that, then I've got to get over my hurt 
And I've got to, and, and, and they are the ones that are going to suffer because they've violated family principle, yes, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Exactly. And, and of course, that. So, so many times you find that. And in Luke chapter 6, he says, If you love those who love you, what grace or empowerment of God is on your life? If you, he says, but he said, if you love those who are unloving and you give to those without expecting anything in return, then you are the sons of your father. Who are us? Mature sons. And it says, and he will reward you. Your reward shall be great because he, you're like him. He's, he is kind to the just and the unjust. So we're responsible for how we treat people, not for how they respond to us. Yeah. See, now, and one of the things that I've often said is that your level of spiritual authority is very much related to your submission to authority. Absolutely. See, and, and that's been, and a lot of people say, well, I just don't have authority over demons. Well, maybe because you've got an independent spirit and you're rebellious deep inside. <laughs> <laughs> Could well be. <laughs> I got a question here just very quickly. Uh, and the question is, can we lose our sonship or daughtership for whatever reason in the family of God? But it, and of course, the problem with that question is this, that we don't know until it's too late often whether or not we've actually been adopted. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. We, we, my children will always be my children. Yes. So there's nothing they can do that changes fundamentally that changes who they yep. are. Yep. Their identity is my child. What can change is their relationship and standing, and what can change is the level of inheritance they qualify for. Yeah, yeah. See, so the issue here is not whether you're a son or a daughter. The issue here is the qualification for sharing with our father in expanding his kingdom throughout the ages. Mm. It's in sharing in intimacy with him. It's in sharing in the glory that he has. So it's not about whether you're going to be in his family, whether you have an eternal life. It's actually about the degree of that and the realm of it and the level of reward that you will enter into. Well, of course, the, pro the, the parable of the prodigal son is right in line with that because here we've got a guy independent, rebellious, so he goes off, takes his inheritance. Now, but he's always accepted back yes. as a child of God, but he's lost his sonship, he's, he's lost the well, he's inheritance. he's lost all of that money. Yeah, and he's not, <laughs> not going to get it again. No. Well, we <laughs> see Esau lost it. Hmm. So we see Esau was entitled to inheritance but sold it out, and then even after he repented, he couldn't get it back. So one of the things that's so important for us to realize is all of our life is a qualification period or training period for eternity. Mm -hmm. When you see it that way, it changes the way you look. You now have an eternal perspective, a long-term perspective, and you can have ups and downs, but they don't change. This is a long-term thing that I'm into. Yeah. And what really counts is that I hear my father say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you know, one of the interesting things has been, I have felt, Mike, at times, that affirmation from heaven Brent, you did that really well. Yeah. And actually, if a person has never experienced that, it is, it, I, I feel so sad for them. Yeah. Because there's something about heaven saying, Brent, you did, that was really great what you yeah. did, and I'm pleased yeah. with you. The pleasure, it's the pleasure oh. of our Father with us. Yeah. It's what people are looking for and hungry for, but because perhaps we've not had unfathering or understood fathering and never had affirmation, we seek it everywhere else. Yeah. Whereas actually you really want to be tuned. The one person that I want to affirm me is my father. And if people don't like it, well, that's okay, so long as my father speaks to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I take great pleasure in you. I delight in you. Yeah. You know, I, you did that well. You know, there, there's been many times, Mike, that I have done things that I know have upset people. 
But I walk away from it and I just say, well, Lord, I felt that was what you wanted me to do. And I can actually feel the heavenly affirmation. Yes. Yeah. And I just realize it doesn't matter how upset they got with what I did. Heaven has said yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Versus doing the will of our Father. Jesus did do the same thing, of course. He, yeah. he you know, people <laughs> walked away from him and he just said to the disciples, you want to do the same thing? He said, no, 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 you got the words alive. We're sticking with you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Mike. Yeah. I want to move on because uh, we've got a whole heap to do and we're not oh going to get my. it all done. But I've heard you teach on the three aspects regarding the success and approval for sons and daughters of God. And it revolves around intimacy, assignment, and transformation. And I want to look at those three aspects and hope, hopefully we might get through them, but I want to look at an intimacy. And the question I want to ask you is what does intimacy with God look like as far as you're concerned, because this is mission critical. What you're referring to is when I shared out of Jesus' prayer in John 17, and it's full of rich insight to Jesus' relationship with his Father and Father's purpose for us. So just to quickly just go back to verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you apostolically commissioned to represent you. So now he's saying... The eternal life is all about intimacy. It's not about a thing you have. It's about a relationship you develop. See? Then he goes on in the next verse, verse 4, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work you gave me to do. But he hasn't, gone to, he hasn't, he hasn't actually gone to the cross yet. So how can he say, I finished the work you've given me to do? So notice there, he's completed an assignment. So sons are intimate with their father. Sons are, all have assignments. Every one of us is given an assignment. You're given, and there's many reasons why God gives you assignments. And, uh, and then the third thing is he said, I have manifested your name to those who you gave me. Now to manifest someone's name means to reveal in an open way, the character and nature yeah. of that person. Very so you notice the three aspects of sonship. One is intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father leads to empowerment. It leads to direction. It leads to vision. It leads to many. It leads to transformation. So the second thing is is uh, assignment. Assignment is really important. All assignments should flow out of intimacy. So we're doing what Father called us to do, not just doing our own thing. Assignments need uh, the power of God. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, transformation has to do with our our inward change to become like Jesus. And these things all work together. Intimacy empowers assignment. Intimacy powers change. Assignments without intimacy and change are just task-oriented, performance-based things where everyone works hard and there's no love, there's no family, there's no revealing of God. The transformation without uh, assignment and uh, without intimacy is all about me getting healed from all my hurts and wounds. And it's a self-centered dimension. It's essential we go through the process, but its purpose is to bring us into engagement with people. So all three work together. How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen? You can't love the person who you do see. Oh, well, I'm broken. I've been hurt by them. When you see how it all works in together that we're called to function in all three dimensions. I, I, I think it's really important that we understand this all came out of Jesus' prayer. Yes. In John 17 where yes. he exposed 
the whole dimension of what being a son of God actually is about. Absolutely. And so therefore, you know, and, and when, when I realized that from, you know, your teaching the other day, I just thought, flip, I've, I've just never read John 17 in that light. No. And suddenly realizing Jesus is exposing to us the process for which we qualify to enter into spiritual yes. authority and God's best for yes. our life. We see Jesus teaching then in those uh, parables, we and the one we talked about today, uh, uh, the assignment has to come out of intimacy. He rebuked them because their assignment didn't flow from intimacy, it flowed from lawlessness, which meant they're just using the gifts and abilities to build their own lives. So, so all of these, are cr they're absolutely crucial, we understand them. So. At the end of John 17, he says an amazing thing. He says, my prayer is that where I am, you will be also. In other words, he's saying that the realm of intimacy and union I have with my father might also be yours. That the love he has for me might be in you. So, so now he starts the prayer talking about intimacy, finishes the prayer talking about intimacy. And the whole thing is about the realm of entering deep relationship where we encounter the love of God as our Father and surrender to Him and open our heart in a deeper and deeper intimacy with Him. So to me, worship is about honor and it's also about surrender. One of the things that I know you spoke to me about was in building intimacy is the, the importance of building altars. Yes. Can you talk about that for a bit? Right. Well, <clears throat> uh, the significance of an altar in the Bible, it's a place of sacrifice. So something is given up. You, the, the, something that was of use to you or gain to you is now sacrificed and given in order to engage with God. So we engage with the realm of heaven through a process called trading. And when you read through the Bible, you find that every time the fire of God fell, it fell on an altar. Someone gave up something and God responded with something far greater. Amazing. Now think about that. And so trading, spiritual trading, we, we can trade with the devil, we can trade with the flesh, but you can trade with God. The trading with God, I make offerings and I sacrifice them. So the Bible is very clear. You come into the presence of a king, you come with an offering. You know, people in the West don't understand it because we don't understand kings. But you go to other countries where royalty is known, you always bring a gift to a king. You never come, come empty-handed. Yeah, yeah. The Bible tells not to come before God empty-handed. tells to enter his, enter his presence with, oh, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. So it tells us that we come to God with something. And the problem for many people is they come, they want to experience God, but they don't want to bring him anything or give him anything. It's all about, I want you to come through and give to me, but I'm not prepared to give you anything. It's actually the way of the world. But when we enter into covenant, see, it's the same with marriage. Marriage is a covenant where I lay up my independence or sacrifice my independence to bring something of my life to you as a gift. And in return, you gift your life to me. So notice it's an exchange. If you enter a marriage relationship, I'm coming to get something. I need to be loved and I need you to love me. That's going to be a mess. That'll be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster every time. So relationships in the Bible are always covenantal. So we build an altar to meet with God. So we come always before his presence with, with gratitude and with honor and praise. So the altar we build is built in faith 
doing the, coming to him the way God told us to come. Come boldly, come with praise, come with a, full, a joyful heart, come with thanksgiving, come and offer him the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Tells us to come that way. And what happens? He responds. So our praise then, as we praise him, he begins to manifest his presence. His manifesting his presence is where worship comes. Because now it's no longer about me giving and sacrificing. Now he's responding. I'm aware of his presence. So everything I'm doing changes. I'm moving now from praising, from speaking, from singing, from clapping, whatever it is. I'm now entering, surrendering. Bow down and worship him and listen to him. So your worship experience then, it, it, it shifted from the coming in with praise and gratitude, thanksgiving, speaking, and then now there's a surrendering and a bowing and a yielding and a listening. Whole different thing. So our life is always one of altars. And mm. you'll find in your journey with God, there'll be times, often at the beginning of the journey, he'll say, I want you to let go of that. And you say, oh, oh. And now that's all about an altar. It's going to hurt you. You say, oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> then you lay it down. Then you see how God responds. You think, oh, wow. Oh, that was really good. You know, I gave up so little and what he's given me so much. God is, you can't outgive God. But it doesn't always happen straight away. You make your sacrifice by faith. You build your altar by faith. And then he responds, but not always straight away. With, with the kingdom of heaven, it's always the price is up front the rewards come. Mm -hmm. With the world, it's the other way. You can have it all now, but man, will you pay him with interest? So you look at Abraham's life, it's a life of the, uh, the altar and the tent. The tent means he remained moving with God. The altar means he made places of commitment, of dedication, of covenant, of sacrifice to the Lord. So when we talk about an altar, altars speak of a sacrifice, it can be the giving up of something. It can be the laying down of something that, was, uh, that you care deeply about. It's prioritizing God first in our life. And so it can be that there's a surrender to him. There can be that you are uh, uh, deepening your commitment to him. It may be you're bringing finances under his leadership. So there's all kinds of areas that we have to build an altar. I had to build it around my career I built one around finance, around a whole range of different personal things in my life. God said, I want you to surrender it to me. And it was painful. And to the people who knew me, it made no sense. But God understood. He is purifying my heart. He wants to know one thing. Do I have first place in your affections? That's what it's about. It's always the first place. So even take, like his words to Abraham, take your son the son whom you love. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. What he's asking, the son whom you love. Notice the way he said the son whom you love. Of course, he's prefiguring God, the father himself, giving the son whom he loves. God himself sacrifices. He sacrificed his son. But so you see, the principle of sacrifice is all through the Bible. The way of the cross is the way of God. It's always about sacrifice. And it, it, it's like, if you, if you think about it, the cross came before the fall of man. It was always in the heart of God because it is the way of God. And we, we think of the cross just of what Jesus did. And we don't think that Jesus said, take a, deny self, 
take up the cross and follow me. So the cross, the surrender to God and to his desire and to pleasing him is the first place in our life. So that's why your life with God is a life of altars. Yeah. There will be places where you have to lay things down. And you bring them before the Lord and surrender them. And sometimes he resurrects them. Sometimes he does not. That's the end. And he provides something better. Now, if I had followed my plan, I'd be up in Walkworth in a fishing boat. But God's plan was for me to go into the nations and teach and minister to people in deliverance, which was the better, bigger plan. You know, I understand God is good God. So when he asks you to sacrifice or to lay something down, he always has something much bigger the other side of it. See, yeah. see Mike, if we, if we take that principle, see, it hits even on a Sunday as an example. We come, and we may not feel like coming, but it's not about what, whether we feel like no. coming. We come, and we don't feel like shouting. We don't feel like lifting our hands. We don't feel like worshiping. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because you're bringing a sacrifice. And when you get a group yes. of people that bring the sacrifice, what happens? The manifest presence of God comes down. The atmosphere changes because now the fire of God is coming upon that altar. And now we begin to worship God, but it's got a reality and an authenticity Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. That's the word, authenticity. Fire. There's the heavenly fire. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things that I know that I've talked to you about is the fact that, um, you know, you, you go into a church and you know that you're not going to get a love offering of, you know, it's a big, rich church and they're going to give you $5 um, for ministering. And you, you can often think, well, why is it that there's no move of the Holy Ghost? Well, I know why there's no move of the Holy Ghost because there's no sacrifice. No, no sacrifice. Yeah. On a financial yeah. basis. Yes, that's right. See? And, and, and I can tell you exactly what's going to happen in any church. If I, knew, if I go into a church, if I know what the love offering's going to be, I know the level of blessing that will flow. Now, I don't go for the offering. You've got to understand. I go to many places and I say, don't give me a love offering because I, it can never be about money. No. But there is a direct relationship to the blessing of God and the freedom of God in our lives and how we, how we sacrifice when we come to church and the way we, we have an attitude we have during the service, what we do with our finances and so on. That's why we are going to have an outstanding outpouring of the Spirit and, and fire for 2021. Why? Because I've asked the church for a 40-day sacrifice. Absolutely. Absolutely. We and notice, fire will come on that. Yeah, we'll come on it. We see that with David, King David, and David's in a crisis in his life. And, uh, and someone comes up and said, listen, I'll, I'll give you that piece of land. I'll even give you the oxen so you can make a sacrifice. And he said, no, I shall not offer to God anything that did not cost me something. I will pay the full price for the field and for the oxen. Now, I mean, not many Christians do that. Pay the full price. No. See, it's no. not in the thinking. But his thinking is... How can I give something to God that is meaningful to him if it costs me nothing? You understand? If you come and say, look, I've got a gift to you, and you know it was just given, it, it, it never cost you anything, it doesn't mean anything to you, and you hand it over, it didn't mean anything to you, why would it mean anything to me? It doesn't represent anything. Does that make sense? And so, so what, what he's, he understands the heart of God, that God is a passionate lover who gives himself, and he wants to be like his father and be the same. 
So it says, the Lord answered with fire from heaven. Now that's something else. He pays the full price, pays the gold, pays for the cattle, sets it all up, has the offering, and boom, fire comes down from heaven. I think so. Every time fire comes from heaven, there is a costly sacrifice. Even in the, in the book of Acts, they were praying and fasting 10 days. There it is, the cost, the price, and they had an encounter with God. Whereas many people come and they want to have the fire that comes or the blessing that comes from someone else's sacrifice. No. So, so when I come to, to church, I'm coming to meet with God. Yeah. If you're coming to a meeting, you've missed it. If you're coming to a service, you've missed it. If you come to encounter God, your thinking is right. So now I need to come with my heart ready and ready to move in on time immediately. You'll notice every time I'm in the meeting, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm up the front right there waiting for the thing. Come on, start. I'm watching the clock. Not, you know, not to see it end, but to see it begin. Let's go. Exactly. You know, and I, and I, well, I'm here to meet with God. What are you doing? Don't muck around. Don't wait because people didn't arrive. Absolutely. You know, the plane doesn't wait when you don't turn up in time. Yeah. It's not about you. <laughs> it's about God. It's about coming with a heart that delights in the Lord. Now, can't you tell that he doesn't, he sees the difference in our heart? You know, like when I had my heart operation and I got out of there and I had a little bit of a spell. The first son that I could get to, I was at the church and I was standing up the front. They all thought I was really very spiritual. You know, hey, my hand on here. I got my hand on here because my hand, it's hurting with all the music. I'm holding it so the vibration isn't vibrating the bones which have been cut. But I'm there to worship God. I, I had a most wonderful account. You know what? God honored every day for two months. He met with me at home. See, he sees that delight in the heart to honor him. There is a price to pay for fire from heaven. You just got it, but you realize the fire from heaven is wonderful. It's worth the price. It's like all trades. You look at, is, the, is what I'm getting worth what I'm giving? Now, with, with heavenly things, they don't always come straight away, and there's this element of doubt whether they'll come at all. <laughs> That's where faith comes in. You believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So no matter what you feel, you just give and you do and you serve and you make sacrifices and you get in a lifestyle of it and you get in a lifestyle where there's a flow of God. People say, oh, are you lucky? Very lucky person. No luck in it at all. You're no overnight success. There's a long season of making offerings to God and then gradually the reaping overtakes the sowing and you're in a flow. I mean, there is such an anointing on what you're talking about here tonight. I mean, you, you know, you can just feel the weight of this. But I feel like we are in a season where the Lord is really addressing what is our attitude about church? Yes, yeah. What is our attitude about giving? What is our attitude about serving one another? What is our attitude about how we treat one another? And I think God is just putting a megaphone out there saying, You've got to remember you're coming with sacrifice. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm reminded of, you know, um, us, Mike and I have been around for nearly 40 years in the, or longer, well, cumulatively nearly 100 years in the Christian world. <laughs> we were bought up. <laughs> Can you imagine 100 oh, I, years? I don't want to know that. No. <laughs> we were bought up with the teaching of the tabernacle of David, of Moses. And you see... You read that just as, a, as an Old Testament story. 
But actually, when you understand it, it is all about the process of entering into the most holy place, which not everybody gets into, because right through the process, there is a process of sacrifice, of reflection, of prayer and worship, and ultimately access into glory. But, but you've got you've to go through the process, yes, don't exactly, you? <laughs> exactly. Now, the wonderful thing is, of course, he says in Acts that you know, the day is coming with it's going to be the restoration, um, the, the restoration of the tabernacle of David, which was really um, the tabernacle in an open tent, and yeah. people could have freer access. But it never changed the fact that there were 24 hours a day, seven days a week, sacrifice of praise. People were assigned and, the, and there was money given in order to those people to have 24 hours a day of worship and praise of God, making a sacrifice to God. So it always it kept the fires of revival upon the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we need to hear about these kingdom truths. Otherwise, we live just out of a culture that's very shallow and out of music that's very shallow and very me-centered. Yeah. See, the, what God is preparing us for is the greatest outpouring of his spirit. And I want to be part of it. <laughs> you know, you know one, one, we've got a question here about you know, the whole thing of grieving the Holy Spirit. And some say you can't, some say you can, and so on. But of course, from my perspective, grieving of the Holy Spirit is not understanding and entering into this process. Can you comment on that? Well, if you look at the context, uh, when it's in Ephesians 4, and uh, around about verse 29, the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, you always, when you see a statement like that, you ask the questions, what does grieving mean? And uh, then, what is the context that God's saying it in? And uh, so uh, when he's talking there, he's, he, the word grieving means to cause great sorrow. So the Holy Spirit deeply feels things. He's very feeling-oriented in the sense that he feels things very deeply. So we talk about the joy of the Spirit. Uh, so he brings joy to us. So we can cause grieving to him. That means he's deeply hurt. He's deeply disappointed. He's caused sorrow and feels sorrow by our actions. And so it's really good that we then inquire. If you want to build a relationship with someone intimately, it's quite good to ask the question, what brings you great joy? And then also ask the question, what brings you sorrow? I want to avoid doing the things that bring you sorrow. I want to do the things that bring you great joy. So if you read in the passage there, it says, let all bitterness and evil communications. In other words, the whole context there centers around the way you react to people. Isn't that interesting? So the, so the context for grieving the Holy Spirit has to do with our attitude to people. Not doing certain things of grieving them and fighting and contending and striving, all that kind of thing, but rather forgiving and being kind and being tenderhearted to one another because that's what pleases him. So right there where it says don't grieve him, it sandwiches it between what causes the grieving and what pleases him. So it's all to do with how you treat people. Isn't that amazing? The way we treat people can grieve or cause great pleasure to the Holy Spirit. How about that? So it is possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do we lose our salvation? No. 
but we can lose intimacy, we can lose deep connection and friendship. And so as you draw near to him and you start to feel the heart of God, the Holy Spirit will show you the things that have grieved him and we should grieve with him over the things that grieve him. See, when you're, when you're walking with God, is about walking in union with him. The things he likes, I've chosen to like those things. The things he doesn't like, I've chosen not to like them. The things that grieve him, grieve me. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the journey. So how many of you ever thought to study the Bible, what brings pleasure to God? I should do those things intentionally in my life. What grieves him, I should stop doing those things. Holy Spirit, bring to my attention, every time I cause you sadness, I'll repent immediately and put it right. Now, this is called developing sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Oh, I feel the presence of God on all of this. It's well, exactly, because you see, this relates also to family. See? Yes. See, it's how we as family interrelate. Totally. Well, you see, unless you discern the Lord's body, his family... That that person there is not just the so-and-so you can mistreat, but this is actually a portion or representation of Christ in front of you. If you can see people as a representative of Christ, they may not be a great representative. If you see that that's who they truly are, you can then honor and treat them well in spite of their behavior. If your goal is to bring pleasure to your father, no matter what people do, you're still going to act out of who you are. Sons and daughters act in a certain way. They act to represent their father. So I'm going to be like him. What you do is what you do. I'm not, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is how I treat you. That makes sense? That leaves you totally empowered instead of being the victim manipulated by what people do. People do some crazy stuff. But then I've done crazy stuff. I've had to repent a lot. I have to do it regularly still. I think, oh, you know, and, and just insensitive to this and that. So as you journey with God, the things you're repenting of change yeah. from being the obvious external sins of the flesh to more the things of the heart, mm. your attitude, and your words. Yeah, you oh, know, get real quiet, Brent. Yeah, well, you know, our hour is nearly up. Oh, and, really? Already? And I wow. want to actually create an altar, and the musicians and singers don't come up yet, but I want us to do Hallelujah, Hallelujah, and the Benihin song in a few moments, and I want to set up an altar, but I want to just say something. And, and I'm, I, I want to be very sensitive in this and just say that I personally um, am having some things that I wasn't sure whether it was the Holy Spirit bringing it up. And actually, I, I, I took Mike aside last night, and I just said, look, I feel really stupid telling you this, but I just want to tell you a strange thing that's happening to me. And... Mike just brilliantly said to me, this is the Holy Spirit, and he's wanting you to just address these things. And, I mean, it was, it was profound what Mike said, but it really is this whole issue of grieving the Spirit. If I was to ignore that, I would be grieving the Holy yeah. Spirit. But actually, Mike basically said to me, in tonight's terms... Every time these things happen, make an altar where you bring it to God and you deal with it. And I feel so strongly tonight, um, Mike, that this is a moment where people need to actually have a moment with Jesus, an altar of bringing stuff that even maybe they're afraid to bring to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And maybe just 
things that need to be repented of, or just uh, like a saying, well, Lord, I'm coming here to be a sacrifice, to pay a cost. I don't even know what that is, but I am willing tonight that whatever you reveal for me to do and behave and deal with, I will do it. It's like an affirmation that's saying, Holy Spirit, yes. And I just feel that would be a good thing to do. I, I think so too. You know, I was, uh, I'd been reading recently just in, uh, because I'm concerned just at the end times, one of the things it says that we need to overcome is the spirit of Jezebel with the control that it brings. And if you look then, it says a promise that in the last days there'll be an outpouring of the spirit of Elijah. And one of the most significant things Elijah did was he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was broken down. And so when our altar is broken down, all kinds of other things manifest and start to appear in our lives. So always the central part of all fresh moves of God is a repairing our altar. It's a corporate altar and it's a personal altar. And so that altar may be just the neglect of your time of prayer. I need to rebuild that again. It may be your neglect of responding to something God has said. I need to rebuild that again. It may be that there's an area of brokenness in your life and you've given in to that and it's directing your life and it's controlling your decisions. You're afraid or you're hurt or there's some uncleanness or whatever. You say, God, I need to come now and bring that and put that on the altar. I need hmm. to. So sometimes the altar always is about surrender. Sometimes it's also about repenting. Sometimes it's about forgiving. Forgiving is costly to the person who forgives, to say, I'm letting it go, my demand for you to pay back, I'm leaving this with the Lord. So forgiving is costly. Sometimes your altar is just to forgive, especially when being betrayed. Betrayal is one of the deepest wounds, and if you don't deal with it, uh, you're, you're, the fire goes out. So we come to the altar and bring our betrayal and the pain and release it to the Lord and exchange for his healing and for his fresh fire. And I think there's people need to do that. Sometimes it's disappointment. We, we experience things that were devastating that we didn't expect would happen, feel like God has let us down. Instead of living in that dimension of pain and, and negative thinking, come and build a fresh altar. I choose to bring my disappointment to the altar, leave it before the Lord, and receive instead a fresh empowerment and hope and direction for my life. Altars are always about exchange. The cross is a place of exchange. Hmm. But it takes humility to acknowledge I have that need and to come and make an altar. The altars we build today are in the heart. They're the altars of the heart. And only you know what you need to build tonight. And perhaps there's something in a marriage, something in a family. You know, sometimes there's children hurt us. Sometimes there's financial issues. Sometimes there's church issues. Sometimes there's things in business. It doesn't really matter what it is. If it's causing the fire in you to go out, it's time to stop grieving the Holy Spirit and build an altar again and have the fire of God come and ignite in your wow. heart again. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to forgive, forgive. If you need to surrender something, sometimes things that were good have just taken over our life now and substituted and pushed down God, then lay it down. Stop it. Bring it back in order. So maybe it's social media. 
Maybe you just need to fast off social media for a season because now it's the voice talking to you. It's shaping the way you live your life. And you need to actually silence that voice so you can hear God's voice again. All fresh encounters, there's always an altar. That's the way of God. Why don't you just close your eyes and let the Holy Spirit come on you. I can feel his presence here for those of you watching. The presence of God is here and God's wanting to touch you where you are too. And maybe there's an altar you need to build. Perhaps your personal prayer life, that altar to God has broken down. There's a neglect of intimacy. When you go there, it's just become just a routine. There's no life and no hunger in it. You know, we need to get the hunger back. Sometimes there's got to be a sacrifice. You know, when I, even while I'm here, I wrote down in my diary, start fasting when you get home. And I wrote down what I'm going to do during my fast and, and the way I'm going to break up my time with God. See, it, it, you never stop building altars. Wow. I felt inspired when Brent's talking about a move of God next year. I think I've got to get into that now. Yeah, I'm going to be preparing now. Do you see? So you know what it is. Right? Holy Spirit, come upon people right now and show them how deeply you love them, where they have grieved you, how they have grieved you, or what you're requiring right now to surrender. Holy Spirit, help us build a fresh altar. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. We just honor you. No matter how you're feeling right now, as, you, as something comes to mind, perhaps it's a person comes to mind, a situation, a disappointment, an offense, a betrayal, a setback, uh, there's, something's happened, you, you've just become disheartened, you say, God, I'm coming back to you. I'm building an altar today. I'm building an altar in my heart. I'm coming to you. And I'm laying down that thing that I've held on to. I'm laying down that secret sin. I'm laying down that hurt. I'm laying down that idol, that thing I've, I've loved and given my life and trusted. I'm laying it down. I'm laying down the control. I'm laying down that self-centeredness. I'm laying down that independence. Oh, Lord, I realize that every time I've reacted to people in authority over me, I've been reacting to you. Lord, I realize there's lawlessness in my heart. I repent of it right now. I submit to you. Help me to put this matter right. Lord, I'm coming to you now. Lord, I've been using this as an excuse. Lord, I bring it to you right now. I surrender. I repent. I surrender to you, Lord. I open my heart to you to have a fresh encounter. I surrender control. I've tried to control people and relationships in life. Lord, I surrender control. I break my agreement with every Jezebelic power to control my life and relationships. I surrender to you now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You should get our musicians up, I think. Now. Let's Just have the musicians the singers up, please. And I'll just, um, I'll just get this cleared so there's room for them. I believe that tonight the Lord is...